Studies have shown that the average person will spend over a third of his or her life at work. Since most Christians are not engaged in full-time vocational ministry, how we integrate our faith into one of the biggest portions of our life has become a focus point. What does it mean to truly unify faith into every area of our lives? Most of us will agree that the workplace today is perceived as a challenging environment to be open and honest about our faith. In business, some will argue that exhorting our faith is a hot button topic given the laws against discrimination and employment practices. We understand that navigating the landscape of faith and business can be a challenging venture. So we have decided to give you some tools today to sharpen your perspective. We will visit with Joe Rutten, the executive director of the Catholic Men's Business Fraternity, director of the Benedictine Leadership Institute at Mount Marty College in Yankton, a parishioner at the Cathedral of St. Joseph, and an organizer of the upcoming Faith and Business Conference coming to the Sioux Falls Convention Center on August 19th. Joe has a unique way of showing us the difference in living an integrated whole life with faith at the center of things spoken and done. In the July issue of the Bishop's Bulletin, a monthly publication for the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls, our guest is featured speaking on the unified life, bringing your faith to work. In this article, Joe expounds on how to reveal one's true self while living an impactful life upholding the virtue of one's faith. We're also going to learn more about how the concept of faith and work are shattering the barriers of denomination at the upcoming Faith and Business Conference. Please join us as we focus. Joe, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule joining us today. And um, based on your, your article and what you do, um, help us to understand how we can take Sunday into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, into the rest of our week. Mm -hmm. What is that? Help us to understand what that means. Good. Thanks, Susan. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Sorry, I think we were supposed to record a week ago and I missed the date. So my apologies. Thanks for rescheduling. This is going to be great. I love, I'm deeply passionate about this. I, I think one of the greatest challenges that we face today, uh, and particularly it's found in business, is compartmentalization, is, uh, is the, the divided life, that we divide our, our, the spheres of our life. We have work over here, and we have play over here, and we have church over here. So on Sunday, you know, that's when we're the, the good self, and on Monday, that's when we're the working self, and on Friday, that's when we're the play self, and you know, then we have the vacation cell. And I think that's fundamentally a broken uh, worldview on who the human person is. And I think it leads to a lot of disorders and problems in our own personal life and the rest of the places that we influence at home as a family person or at work. And so what Sunday into Monday represents is the integrated life. That is taking the principles of faith that we often practice on Sunday are represented by Sunday and integrating them into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, into the work week. So faith principles and business practices. 
is kind of the the fulfillment of that and then those faith principles we could we'll spend some time i'm sure talking about what those principles are and how is it that we can integrate them into business practices so that we live as a unified self as as an integrated self and that's where we discover uh the fulfillment of our great potential what are some business practices that guide your faith and leadership in business Say that again. What are some faith principles? Uh, What are some business practices that guide your faith and leadership in business? What are some business principles? Um, I'm going to I'm going to flip this. I'm going to flip this just a little (laughs) bit, but I I see where we're going here. So uh, the human person, in my perspective, so not everybody maybe will share this perspective, but uh, if I'm a creature, a creature is one who is created. Right. And so if I'm created, then I begin to think, hmm, somebody else made me. And if somebody else made me, then they're the ones that instilled in me um, how I work. They instilled in me my purpose. They instilled in me what it means to flourish, what that looks. They instilled in me these gifts and passion. And so the principle that I operate on or that I encourage people and train people to operate on is that. The beginning, the, the first place to begin is that you were created by somebody else for a purpose in this world. And the great mystery of life is to discover what that purpose is. All right. And so this is a great mystery. It's a fantastic journey. Um, but I think that when it's all said and done, we'll look back and we'll begin to see this magnificent path that the great creator has led us all on. And the younger we are, where we can we can be, be in a place where we can realize that I've been created with a purpose and you can begin to seek out what that purpose is, find and discover what that purpose is. Then you, the sooner you get to live into that purpose, right? And, and just like anything, the sooner you begin, the, the further you can go. And so that's the fundamental principle is that we were created by a, by a God that instilled in us a purpose in this world. And this is found in all traditions, by the way. Viktor Frankl, A Man's Search for Meaning, the great uh, Holocaust survivor, he talks about the why, right? Uh, uh, Simon Sinek, the why. Like, Simon Sinek did not invent the why, folks. Like, this golden circle and this, like, you know, this is throughout human history. Jeremiah, the great pro- Hebrew prophet Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God created us with, for a purpose. He created us with a plan, and it's a plan of hope. Right. And so it's like, oh, wait a minute here. I think Jeremiah lived a few years before Simon Sinek, you know, but Simon was brilliant because he was able to access as as a wise elder within the professional sphere of culture and leadership development today. And he drew on these ancient, timeless pieces of wisdom. And that's basically what I do for a living is I take ancient wisdom and I connect it to modern leadership principles and practices to help human persons flourish personally and professionally. So first, you're created with a purpose. You, you need to begin then that principle that says, all right, how do I go about discovering this purpose? And uh, that's probably the next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are some challenges one may face? Oh, sorry. What are some challenges one may face face when sharing um, their faith at work or in public? Oh, Emmanuel, this is interesting. Um, so my faith tradition is Catholic. And within the Catholic tradition, 
sometimes I think it's a detriment. And in other times, I think it's an asset. Catholics don't often get real uh, uh, evangelization real preachy. We're not usually running around preaching Christ. And, and for instance, I had somebody call me one time and say, Hey, would you pray for this person? They don't know Christ. And, you know, I want them to know Christ. And like, you know, the Catholic doesn't always think that way for better or for worse. Catholics think a little bit more about how do, how am I living? Am I living in a way that's representative of Christ and the gospel? Am I living in a way that is, um, like, like imbued, overflowing, like manifesting joy, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like, am I living in a way that somebody wants to be around me? And then in turn, they begin to see Christ in me and they begin to say, boy, there's something about that kid. I don't know what it is or, you know, and, and so then they begin to follow this mystery within us. And it's less, hey, do you know, Jesus, have you been saved? It's less on that side of things. So this is what I realized. I got into some faith and business work with, with a bunch of uh, Reformed Dutch folks. And they said, Joe, what your tradition the Catholics have, that's the great secret that we wished we had, is your Catholic social teaching. And I thought, what? Catholic social teaching? Well, that's the ethics class that I taught for a decade over at O'Gorman, dignity of persons and common good and how do we treat our neighbor and, you know, solidarity, this principle that when people are down and out, we want to rally around them like they're a part of the family. And I thought, you want, if you could have anything from the Catholics, you want our Catholic social teaching? He said, yeah. He said, within our tradition, we don't have this codified body of knowledge about how we can, how we should live together and flourish like the church does. And about 100, 150 years ago, the church really formally began developing this body of teaching, but it's not sectarian. It's not like the Eucharist or Mary or some of these teachings that might, or even Jesus as Christ that would divide us from Baptists or from Buddhists or, or Muslims. or a, It's a human doctrine about who the human person is and how we can flourish together. So the first principle is dignity that the human person was created by a divine creature in that divine image and therefore has a nobility that is higher than the rest of creation. And because we all human persons, doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, race, creed, color, gender, doesn't matter. You're a human person. You were created in the image of the creator. Therefore, you have dignity and you're deserved to be treated with respect. Principle number one, that's the starting point for Catholics. We can disagree about a lot of things, but we can't disagree about how to treat one another. You have to treat them with respect. Why? Because they're created in the image of the divine creator. So dignity is the first of the Catholic social teaching principles. Uh, solidarity is the second, and solidarity is the, the principle of family, that we're all human beings in the same family. It doesn't matter where we came from, who we are. We're all a part of this together. And then with under these principles, there are other sub-principles like preferential option for the poor. So in the Catholic tradition, preferential option for the poor, and that might be physical poverty, it might be spiritual poverty, it might be psychological poverty, it could be a lot of different poverties. Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa said the poverty of America is our spirit, not material. So, so maybe it's spiritual poverty, but underneath that principle, preferential option for the poor, 
comes underneath solidarity because it says in the family, we ought to give most attention, preferential attention to the one that is down and out. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how do you integrate that at work? Well, at work, we have health care plans that we offer to our employees. That's preferential option for the poor. That's saying that we have a responsibility to take care of you as a family member and make sure that you and your family are taken care of in your health care needs so that when you're down and out, you're being taken care of. So that's in a way how the Catholic church kind of often looks. And, and I guess I look in this faith principles and business practices, this conference, we look and say, how can we bring solidarity into business? Well, we could do that a lot of ways. I mean, solidarity is right in a, a get well card to an employee or sending a gift to, to a coworker that had a baby or something like that, you know, like that's a part of solidarity. That's part of the family. So we don't necessarily think, although you might have a cross up at the office or you might encourage and start a Bible study Wednesday morning before work, or you might invite a colleague to church with you or might, might have somebody struggling and ask if they want to pray. But that's secondary to the approach of the particular faith and business practice, the Sunday and the Monday that, that we're proposing. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, I don't want to like say we don't do that or wouldn't encourage that, but everybody can treat people with dignity. Everybody can develop the, the, the principle of solidarity and help those that are less fortunate, rally around the one that's down and out. And so this body of teaching uh, has four primary principles with a whole host of others that Susan and others spend their life teaching young people. And uh, I wonderfully get to teach uh, college students, but also business leaders. How can we treat people with respect and dignity at work? And this is all the new diversity, equity, and inclusion that's going on in Sioux Falls. I know Kira Kimball and some of those are, are doing some DEI work. And I took the first session, and the first section was this revelation of this principle of dignity. Oh, well, yeah, I've been, <laughs> okay. I, I didn't realize that this might not be something that everybody had in their vocabulary or had as a principle of operation that they understood, hey, this can be applied to business. Well, this is stuff that we grew up. I mean, this is like meat and potatoes faith stuff for us as Catholics. And so, Sue, you're in that kind of sphere with me. Right, right. As, as, as Catholics, yeah, we're not that comfortable you, um, as much as like evangelization, evangelization as you, ev right. yeah, and evangelizing and just speaking Christ to, to other coworkers. But it's more through um, the actions. Um, uh, you know, St. Uh, Francis of Assisi is associated with preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. So it's more of how we uh, treat the person with dignity and respect and seeing Christ in others. So it's not even necessarily even, you might not even say that, mention Jesus Christ, but right. what that they can see Christ in you as well, or see something different about that or person, you see or you Christ, Christ in, in them. them. Or you see Christ and you're like, that. you yeah. know what? Right, right now you're so a little rascally, you're a little curmudgeon, <laughs> or you know what? I kind of want to like just sock you in the nose right now. But, but, but right. my faith tells me that Christ is in you too. When right. we're all broken, we all got our things. Uh, some sometimes we have off days, and I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to be present to you in a way that's positive and healthy and constructive, uh, because you're a human being. 
That that seems to show true perspective because as you're looking at that, you're seeing what parts are reflective of of um, of Christ in that other person, mm-hmm. as opposed to some of the parts that are that are respective of Christ in your in yourself. So it's a yin yang in that aspect of right. trying to uh, to get the the greater good of community. So you say the greater good. So that's the prin- second principle. Common good mm-hmm. is what what we call it. And um, you know, you could also say that the common good could be purpose. What's the purpose of your organization? What's the greater thing that you're attempting to do here? We're in the field of education, right? We're trying to educate young people in character and virtue. And well, that's that's a purpose of our work, right? Well, we would also say that's the common good. That's contributing to a, a, a fuller, more flourishing community when we're doing education well. And so e- even those principles, oftentimes they're in play they're out there in the market or in business or in education or in other faith traditions or in other, they're just called different things. And so what we do is we have an ability here with this faith and business conference that we've started to bring the larger Christian or even non-Christian community, but specifically Christian community together to say, all right, let's have a common platform where we can invite everybody in to talk about these faith principles and how we might integrate them into business practices. What are the principles? What do they look like? And how can we integrate them? And so that's really the origin of this faith and business conference is I had a group of fellas that were getting together doing a men's group talking about this stuff. We're all like, you know, maybe other people would be interested in this stuff. And so we thought, well, let's do it. So we're on our sixth year with a conference inviting men and women of all faiths to come talk about how we can transform Main Street, transform business by integrating these faith principles. You speak about one, identifying their purpose. Help us understand how to identify or recognize what our purpose is and how to live a purpose-filled life. Dude, you got all the hard ones. (laughs) I do. JJ, purpose. Um... The, the ancient philosophers were, they began with humility. And in my tradition, St. Benedict, the founder of Western monasticism, uh, his, his path forward begins with humility. So I want to be careful not, not to say like somehow I have the answers here. You know, Socrates and, and Plato would be like, I know nothing. Like that's the place to start. Um, but two things. One, I have found in as I've gotten into the leadership sphere, there's a lot of people in the leadership sphere. There's a lot of people in the coaching sphere. Um, and I just might stop and say, I think that for me, that all leadership that is good leadership is time tested. It's been around for a while. It didn't just get invented. Somebody might have discovered it and repackaged it and put it out in the market like Simon Sinek, and Simon wouldn't say that he created the golden circles, right? Like this, is a, um, so, it, so purpose is one of those things. You'll find it everywhere. As a matter of fact, when I started at Mount Marty University, it was on the front of some of their marketing programs. It was like, come to Mount Marty and discover your purpose. You know, I thought, oh, great, that's a great, yeah, come discover your purpose. You know, whatever. It, 
but the cynic in me was like, do they, where do they, where does a student who goes to Mount Marty discover their purpose? Where is that at in the curriculum? Where is that in the programming? Where at the college in four years are they going to be taught what purpose is and how to find it? And they were like, well, Joe, why don't you build that? And so we did. We rebuilt freshman uh, philosophy and sophomore theology, and we literally incorporated in the philosophical training uh, the nature of purpose and the discovery of purpose uh, based upon these very simple principles. You're created by a God, we would say, that loves you, cares about you, that is re in relationship to you, uh, and that God instilled a purpose for your life. And we would say that every human being has a purpose, even if you're somebody maybe that's paralyzed or somebody that can't work or you're Down syndrome or, you know, whatever the circumstances of the variety of our lives are, we fundamentally believe that every human person has a purpose. So if we have a purpose now, the question becomes, how do we discover it? And that's an interior journey. So this is where in our tradition, and in most religious traditions, then the training becomes an interior one where we have to train the human person to be, be a person of examination. And uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, we begin with the, the ancient Greeks because they are the first in the West, for sure, ones that really codify this philosopher's path. And, uh, you know, I think it's Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living. And that's the place we begin. And so examination for the Christian is hugely important. Well, examination isn't just a thought about what you did wrong that day. It's, it's a process of meditation and reflection about who you are. And so that interior journey of self-discovery, which is very popular today, right? Finding yourself. Well, in a sense, that's great. But like, what are you finding? In our tradition, you're finding the purpose that you were created for. You're finding who you are. You're, you're discovering the nature of your being. And in that, I train people to look for their gifts first. What are the gifts that you possess? Because if the creator gave you a purpose, um, he would not be a good creator if he didn't give you what you needed in order to accomplish the work. And so fundamentally, we're created with a personality. So I like personality inventories, and I don't care which one it is, Myers-Briggs or um, the DISC or things like that to help you do an examination of your strengths and your weaknesses. Uh, and then um, your passion. What is the thing you love to do when you wake up and you go, like, what do you love to do? And it doesn't have to be connected to your work. But if it does, man, you've got a great life bonus points amen brother <laughs> i'm telling you if you wake up and can find somebody to pay you to go do the thing you love to do and you're good at it because god gave you the gifts and talents to do it right then that's where the magic button is that's like you know it's i call it the fourth dimension like it's living in a whole nother reality um and so for me, that's a purpose. It's, it's given to you. You discover it through examination and reflection over a period of time. Uh, but I would say eventually you come to codify it. And for me, uh, to some degree, my life's purpose is uh, the education of youth. And it's specifically the education of youth at a particular age demographic. I found out that it wasn't high school. I did that for a decade and about, pull, well, I did pull my hair out. That's, you know, <laughs> you know, I was like, I think I need like 19 to 22 year olds. Like, 
And so I kind of found like, oh, there's my sweet spot. And then I found, oh, there's a business thing here. So I got this thing on the side that's business. And these are passions, but I believe they're also callings. And I, I believe I've been equipped, but I'm not equipped to do them wholly because I need other people to, su- to succeed and flourish. And so talk to anybody I work with, and they'll be like, holy smokes, you think you, yeah, he looks good on the cover, but my goodness, is he a mess in the backside. <laughs> because I have gifts, but I also have weaknesses, so I need others. So this is the principle of solidarity, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can train people that you're going to go work with other people, and you need to be attentive to what your strengths are and your weaknesses are so that you can match them up with the team that you're going to be working with when you go to work for whoever it is, you know, I don't know, click rain or some for you, right? Charlie, Charlie's the one that's going to be owning every, Charlie's going to be the one dominating the city when, you know, 10, 15 years. So uh, purpose, that's, that's my little shtick on purpose. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, it should fit, uh, Victor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, every human person should read it. Mm-hmm. It's a can't miss book. It's quick. It's re- easy. But in it, he, he talks about the perp about your why, about your purpose. And what it, so he survives the Holocaust in Auschwitz. And he said what he discovered um, is that you had to have a greater purpose. You had to have something greater than yourself in order to survive. And what that did is it sustained you. It gave you a hope to overcome the obstacle. So whatever the, the, the issue is in front of you, you need hope to overcome it. And the hope comes from your purpose. And he even talked about having his initial purpose, his initial, his initial hope was in his, his family, his wife, who he assumed was probably dead, but he still used her memory to keep hope alive, to overcome until he'd get out. But one of the, the his purpose was he wanted to take his psychology of logotherapy his psychiatry practice, his new methodology that he developed. And logotherapy is the, the psychology of meaning, right? This is where Simon Sinek, you find a lot of Simon Sinek in Viktor Frankl because it's about meaning and purpose. And so he, he finds that in this ability to give to the world uh, this new pathway of therapy called logotherapy. And logo, logos, is is what Jesus is called, right? It's the ancient def- it's the ancient term the Greeks used for truth and wisdom was logos. And so when the Gospel of John starts, you know, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Gospels, they kind of start with the narrative, Jesus is born in a stable or something like, you know, an angel. John comes along and he's like, in the beginning was the word and the word. And you're like, what the hell is this? Pardon my French. Uh, in the beginning was the word. The word is actually in the beginning was the logos. It's the meaning or it's the deepest reality of human existence. It's the great creator, the great cause, the truth. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, when when John starts, he's like, right away, let's get this thing out of the way. Jesus is the logos. He is the truth. He is the way. So. What you're saying actually speaks into uh, answers some of my question. So, um, but I will just go through it real quickly here. Uh, you mentioned integrating the four primary social justice principles into our work lives. Um, what are they and how do, th- do we begin the process? So the four principles, uh, uh, dignity, common good, solidarity, and subsidiarity are kind of the four that I pull off as, as hinge principles. 
there's typically there's seven that you can anyway mm -hmm. um so these principles how can you integrate them well one you have to know what they are uh, uh but i would what i would say is this vanderbilt university has um a tremendous institute of character so it's i forget exactly the character institute i'll just call it but uh, michael lamb and some some professors down there are doing fantastic work on character and virtue formation and character is really what we ought to be seeking out in education in my mind mm -hmm. i think it's a great absent piece to modern education mm -hmm. you know martin luther king when he had his i had a dream speech uh, you know, he's talking about his kids and he's like, you know, one day I dream, you know, that I have a dream that my kids won't be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Mm -hmm. I don't see anybody going on and saying, all right, how do we do this thing here that Martin thinks is so important? Well, I'm telling you, character formation is, is, is essential. And so, so character is, uh, uh, is, is the habit, our habits of virtue. So character is like our constitution. It's our being. It's who we are. It's, it's what we're becoming. It's our nature. And that's formed through our habits. And we either become poor people or good people, right? And by saying, I'm a good person, like everybody thinks they're a good person. Like, right, you're a good person, right? But you just lied, you know? Yeah, how do you, everybody's good. But literally, this is there is such thing in our tradition as a good person. We call that virtue, mm -hmm. and so these are habits of excellence for human flourishing. And uh, so, so taking this character formation and integrating that into uh, the process by which we become people of principle, right? So, if the principles are the wise, why should I treat you with respect because of dignity? Treating you with respect is different, though. Mm -hmm. I actually have to be a person that is good. I have to actually be a person of virtue to actually treat you with respect. Mm -hmm. So I can know principle, mm -hmm. but not be principled. Right. And so virtue is the habit of the person that allows us to freely be people that act with principle. And so Michael Lamb and these uh, great crew at v Vanderbilt, so they talk about things like exemplars. We need exemplars. And exemplars are models. In the Catholic tradition, we call them saints, right? So why do we have these saints? Well, they're exemplars. We're just saying, here is a guy or a gal that like lived really well. They are an exemplar. Follow what they're doing. Now, they're dead, but you don't even have to follow the dead ones, right? You know, you, Mother Teresa, before she was dead, people were like, you know what? We should be more like Mother Teresa. And then she died and we're like, Definitely people should be more like Mother <laughs> Teresa, right? So, so exemplars would be one way. Um, dialogue. Dialogue is a great way to integrate principle into our lives. And so dialogue, and I think that, and that's what I do with, with my men's group. I have a, a Catholic men's business group, a bunch of business leaders that uh, get together once a month and they dialogue about faith and business and about how to be better men. But, you know, sometimes I've found that the fellas don't do church real well. Uh, they don't always enjoy it. You know, they kind of sit in the pew and they're sluggish. And sometimes they're there because of their spouses. And, uh, uh, well, I got two brothers that are priests. And I'm like, you know what, fellas, maybe you should do this differently. Where? And, and I got two brothers that are cowboys. I don't know if you knew that. So I got two, like, bull riding cowboy brothers and two, you know, collar, collar priest brothers. And, you know, it's like, how can we get these two on the same page? And I thought, well, the cowboys take great pride in their work. Mm -hmm. 
you know, having calloused hands and working hard and putting in a day's labor. And so if I just tell them to show up at church, I'm going to be like, eh, if I have to. But if I have a conversation with them about work, I might get some more traction there. And so I started a men's business group where we get them through business, through work, through that first place that they kind of take their identity. Mm -hmm. And then we lead them through the back door into a deeper identity and faith in Christ. And what do we do? Well, we just sit around in small groups and we dialogue about faith principles and business practices. Mm -hmm. So that'd be one way to integrate is through dialogue and small group reflection. So Michael Lamb, Vanderbilt, they got seven different uh, 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 methods of integration that we can talk about, but exemplars is just an easy one. We all have exemplars in our lives. Who are the people we look up to? Uh, you should have that person. You should have a picture of that person. You should, you should, and if they're alive, like this, mentors, mm -hmm. right? And mentors don't just have one, like gather them, collect them, right? Collect them like they're, uh, uh, you know, types of ranch bottles in your, your fridge. Like how, people, salad dressing, how many, I, you guys, how many people collect salad dressings in their fridge, right? Like, like, yeah, like six kinds of, of ranch salad dressing in your fridge. Like, how many do you need? Collect mentors like that, right? And each has a different flavor. Mm -hmm. And so St. Anthony the Great, he's uh, kind of the founder of monasticism. Uh, the first desert monk uh, kind of goes out into the desert and lives this monastic isolated life. Um, before he went out, he went around to all of the exemplars. And he sat at their feet and he studied their virtue. And then he went home and he habituated and integrated the virtue into his life. And then he'd go find the next exemplar. And, and he did that in, until he went out into the desert on his own because he had become mm -hmm. a person that could live a life of excellence and flourishing mm. on his own. But in there, he names all of the virtues. And they all had something different. So one, one guy, one monk, his virtue was long-sightedness. Hmm. Like, long-sightedness? Like, <laughs> so this is where we get to church, right? Like, all right, well, I can help anybody develop long-sightedness. And it's just that ability not to get too proximate to something. Don't forget to look out ahead, right? So this in business is strategic planning. Mm -hmm. You know, this is somebody, somebody out there listening could develop like a full on business plan doing coaching and leadership development with all of this stuff. I just don't have time. I do it for the students. So anyway, next. <laughs> My final question, Joe, is tell us why having keynote speakers, Super Bowl champion Matt Burke and Andreas Widmer from the Catholic University of America is so vital to this year's conference. Oh boy. So exemplars, right? And, and we live in a culture of fame. We live in a culture where we idolize, um, entertainers, athletes for better, for worse, right? This is who we are. Uh, you know, in the ancient tradition, they'd call these the base people. Like you're not supposed to idolize the gladiator. Just a heads up, but that's who we idolize, right? By the way, I think we live more like the time of the Romans and the barbarians than any other time in history. Um, so we idolize it. Well, all right. Then when you find these people that are also living people of faith, then we're like, Oh, now I really like them. Right. Cause they, they held up maybe the baser virtue of, of honor and fame and, you know, super. So Matt Burke, he's super bowl champion, dude. Absolutely. Like, and he's a Harvard graduate. The dude's smart. 
Um, so he, you know, he played for the Vikings. He won a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, not with the Vikings, uh, but that's <laughs> my problem. Uh, but then he went to work for the NFL afterward for a few years. Got into the business of the NFL, and then afterward got out. He's big into character education, virtue formation. He's Catholic, deeply faithful, loves Jesus Christ, calls him his Lord and Savior, and has a great talk on teamwork. And so what we're doing is having Matt Burke keynoted about how can faith principles build greater teams, better teams. And then Andreas, we thought, well, man, who can we have that could match Matt Burke as a keynote speaker? And I thought Andreas. Andreas Widmer is a former Swiss guard, so he protected John Paul II when he was a pope. Only Swiss, only Swiss you have to be a Swiss, Swiss for, to be a Swiss guard. And you have to be like 6'5 or something. like. So he's this tall drink of water, started protecting the Pope, married some gal from Boston, moved to Boston, got into business with some MIT kids, got it and just made a bank full of money, bank full of money, and lost it all. Well, a lot of it, like $600 million worth. And he said, when I crawled out from underneath my desk, um, I'd realized I'd been corrupted. That I'd, in a sense, chased lesser goods. And that I needed to go back to my faith. I needed to go back to these lessons that I learned from John Paul II and from, from my upbringing. And so it brought him back to the crisis, brought him back to his Catholic faith. And in the process, he found a real love for this faith and business movement and wanted to get into education to teach young people, particularly entrepreneurs. He's really a big entrepreneur. And his big movement is entrepreneurship is the primary path to the alleviation of poverty. Mm -hmm. you, you need to feed people, right? If they're, if they're hungry, you need to feed them. But the way to actually elevate them out of poverty isn't to keep feeding them. Mm -hmm. It's to employ them. It's to get them employment, right? And that requires an equip. They have to be equipped with skills. They have to be, but they also have to be equipped with character. They have to be equipped with virtue. And so he's got this fantastic entrepreneurship program going at Catholic University where he's building young people of character and competence. He's going to come in and shake the roof off and just he's outstanding. So he'll kick it off. Uh, Matt will close it up. It'll all be about building great teams. And in the middle, we thought we should have a great team from Sioux Falls coming, you know, from the area coming, like be a panel and tell us about how they do it and what it looks like for them so that so that the people in the audience can can get uh, an example, an example, right, of what this looks like. And so, Click Rain in town. Mm -hmm. Click Rain is a, a, a faith, family, work is kind of their motto, right? And it goes in that order. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, let's have Click Rain come and share with us what what that looks like for them and why. And and so, uh, Natalie Eisenberg, the CEO, I believe, uh, Carissa Shuffleman, I think, the COO, and uh, James Krieger. I think as a founder in, I don't know, CCC or something, like add, you know, just mm -hmm. three letters in there, he's chief something. Uh, they're going to do a panel in the middle of it, and so it's going to be fantastic. I think this is the best, six years we've had this conference, I think this is hands down going to be the best one that we've had so far. Mm -hmm. Can't miss. When is a faith and family? Um, right, right. The faith and business faith conference. Faith and business For conference. men, women, Catholic, Christian, you know, non anything i don't care you know it's for a human deal like you want to come you want to know how to flourish in business this conference is for you and so uh august 19th 
and it's at uh, the convention center here in town Thursday. It's a Thursday, starts at 11. Now we're Catholics that started it, and so we like to worship the Lord a little bit. So we're going to worship the Lord at 11. So if y'all want to come and join us at 11 for Mass, Catholics and non-Catholics, Two years ago, somebody's like, man, I'd never been to a Catholic mass before. That was outstanding. So that's for everybody. But we thought maybe some people are like, yeah, you know, they don't want to feel like they're being proselytized or something. So 11 o'clock mass, noon lunch. So you can come get a box lunch. And then we kick it off at 1230. We're just going to rip this thing out for four hours. Just like it'll be a fire hose. We'll just we'll just downpour on you. The Holy Spirit and great, great wisdom. And uh, yeah, so. The 19th of August, two and a half weeks, three three weeks? Yeah. I think it's two and a half two weeks. And oh, my goodness. Get your tickets. Sioux Falls, or actually, it's faithandbusinessconference.com. Faithandbusinessconference, all one word, and is spelled out, faithandbusinessconference.com. Uh, every year from here on out, we're going to rock this thing. We're going to blow this thing up. Last year, two years ago, we had folks from Kansas come up. We had a plane, a jet. Somebody brought a jet down from Fargo. They were like, well, we got to be down there and we got to be back. Maybe we'll just take the jets. Somebody flew a corporate jet down from Fargo. Uh, it, it's starting to kind of get some traction in the larger region. And we haven't even, like, marketed this thing. We just kind of were doing this as an in-house deal. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, dude, the world needs this. And I'd have to say Amen. Amen. The world's broken. We have broken institutions. Family's broken. Politics is broken. I don't think anybody disagree on that one, right? Politics is broken. broken And business is broken, right? Why? Alexander Solzhenitsyn says it's because the human person is broken. Mm -hmm. And that's what this conference is an opportunity to do is come and say, you know what? How can I do this better? And in the end, ultimately what you're going to be reflecting upon is your own heart. Finding yourself, your purpose. Finding your purpose. So my final question is about the Faith and Business Conference. It's unique as it brings business leaders and clergy from various denominations, uh, working, learning, and sharing information. If I were a curious or first-time attendee, what would I expect to experience? Um, You know what? I think that what you can expect to experience is community. I think we li- we have like Disneyland going on here and we don't even realize it. Like this is a good ride in the Midwest. It's a good ride in South Dakota. It's a good ride in the, the metro region here. Like we've got a really good thing going and we have a lot of really good people doing things, but we're a little compartmentalized. Everybody kind of has their own little thing going on. And then I come in and I meet somebody here and I find out they know somebody there. And then somebody says, Terry Liggins. And I'm like, Terry, you know, Terry, like, well, then we got to be friends. If you know, Terry, I know Terry, then we're, you know, and it's like, we all need to be in the same room together. And it's these people that are deep into business and, and all this, but they're also people of faith. You know, and they come from all different stripes and beliefs and backgrounds. And but we all share this common thing that says, you know what, we love one another and we want to do this thing the best we can. I think that anybody that's saying, I don't know if I want to go to that. Uh, you'll be surprised. You show up. I'll guarantee you, you know somebody and you'll walk out thinking, hmm, that was better than I thought. And I believe that ultimately what's at the heart of the whole thing is that as a community, we're discovering our greater purpose. Well, um, Joe, after uh, today's discussion, uh, help the person and inspire the man, uh, encourage the men and women and the youth who desire to integrate faith more into today's society is what you talked about, about how you can put 
uh, where we started from about not we're not meant to be different compartments and people right, like that, that going back going back to our first question and then now we're doing a full cir- circle right. here right because that's not who we are no we're not meant to be that way right and life is not that way <laughs> you right. know so how do they um how do uh, people become more more comfortable in in doing so this is this is that. a great that's how do you become more comfortable yeah there's only i mean practice right. it's it's simply it right like and then you get to be the point where you can be Jordan at the line shooting a free throw with your eyes closed. But that's because you've developed the habits of excellence that we call virtue. And you've actually become a person, a character who does it by nature, not because it's a struggle. And we get that backwards sometimes. Sometimes we think that the harder you like, oh, I really struggled. Oh, man, that was hard. And I did the right thing. Well, if it was hard and you did the right thing, that actually means that you have less virtue. If it's with ease that you do it, that means it's a part of your nature. And so that happens through practice, repetition. Uh, And then I'd have to say God's grace. I wake up every morning saying, Lord, if I'm in charge of this thing by myself, watch out, people. Get off the sidewalks because there's going to be some destruction going on. I'm a wreck by myself. I don't know about y'all, but I can't like... And so I, you know, yeah. th- let's let's be serious about this thing. If we're not in charge, and if there's something greater going on in this world, and we're simply saying we got to stop compartmentalizing our lives and act like Jesus only cares about us on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he takes a nap too for Monday through Saturday? Like, no, he goes to work with you too, you know. And so how can we stop? Well, habits of excellence. We want to develop ways of being, ways of living, daily habits that we can develop that make us better persons, make us better people. And I think that begins, I'll be honest with you, I think it begins with when you wake up in the morning, what you do with the snooze. I think a lot of people hit snooze in all different kinds of areas of their lives. We need to stop hitting snooze, folks. When the alarm goes off, get your butt up out of bed and get busy, but make sure that it's the road to Emmaus. Make sure you have a brother or sister walking with you and the Lord in the middle. Amen. Amen. And we're not alone. And Got I think that. this conference will help us understand that too. Like you said, it was about bringing community yep. to realize we're not alone and we have a community to help us sometimes remind right. us there is this new. There's a, there's a, <laughs> it's either Chuck Colson or it's uh, Billy Graham or one of the, the evangelist preachers uh, has a great quote. They talk about when, when a person, uh, uh, how, how does it go? When a person's, when a person stands up and straightens their back, it stiffens the backs of others around them. Mm-hmm. Like when you see somebody stand up, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you want to stand up taller, <laughs> you know? When somebody walks in looking good, like you want to dress up like, dang, I knew I should have worn my good <laughs> shoes, right? That's, that's virtue. That's, that's, that's character. That's faith. That's doing business the right way. And you know what? How, do, how can we help in, uh, uh, create a culture and a community where we're all doing things the right way? Miles Beacom over at First Premier Bank, you always tell me, Joe, it's really simple. Just do the next right thing. And that's what they'll learn. Come to the conference, and we'll together talk about how we can just do the next right thing. Thank you, very Thank much. you so much, yeah. Joe, uh, how you're, uh, for inspiring us. And this interview has been amazing. Your word of 
words of wisdom. I know I talked too much. I, <laughs> I hope know, that wasn't no, like, no. Probably like, damn, we're this guy going to shut up? We're it all in. This is all good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you so yeah. much, and thank you for taking the time to to share us uh, your story and your passion and and to help us through sharing your story helps us to understand more of our purpose too join me yeah. in two and a half weeks as we All take right. faith principles into business practices thank you for many workers their religious beliefs and values are motivating factors substantial research shows the benefits shared by individuals who see their work as a means of expressing their personal faith this is found attributing to improving one's physical and mental health, as well as an increase in effective organizational commitment and higher work performance. Human resource professionals and business leaders are being overtly encouraged to demonstrate greater sensitivity and support for various religious beliefs. And for those who want faith-based solutions, as much, if not more, than psychological ones. The process of building faith in the workplace begins with finding one's faith entity, which by simple definition is the arbiter of one's truth, the driving force that defines for a person what is right or wrong, and the reason for one's life. Most would say God is the arbiter of truth, the benefits of faith and work integration may even convince organizations and managers not directly motivated by Christian values to create faith-friendly organizational policies, procedures, and cultures because in the end, it's a win-win. Thank you for taking time to focus. Until next time, I'm your host, Lynn. Goodbye.